This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of meniscal injury from the sports section on orthobullets.com. Meniscal injury is the most common indication for knee surgery, and there is a higher risk for these injuries in ACL-deficient knees. With respect to location, medial tears are more common than lateral tears. The exception is in the setting of an acute ACL tear where lateral tears are more common. Degenerative tears in older patients usually occur in the posterior horn medial meniscus. Now, let's talk about the function, anatomy, and composition of the meniscus. The meniscus functions to optimize force transmission across the knee. It does this by increasing congruency, as increased contact area leads to decreased point loading. Shock absorption is another function of the meniscus, as the meniscus is more elastic than articular cartilage and therefore absorbs shock. And it also transmits a 50% weight-bearing load in extension and 85% in flexion. As far as stability, the meniscus deepens the tibial surface and acts as a secondary stabilizer. With respect to the medial meniscus, the posterior horn of the medial meniscus is the main secondary stabilizer to anterior translation. And with respect to the lateral meniscus, it is less stabilizing and has two times the excursion of the medial meniscus. And keep in mind that in ACL-deficient knees, the menisci become primary stabilizers. With respect to composition, the meniscus is made of fibroelastic cartilage. It's an interlacing network of collagen, proteoglycans, glycoproteins, as well as cellular elements. And it's composed of 65-75% to water. With respect to collagen, 90% of the meniscus is made up of type 1 collagen. As far as fibers, the meniscus is composed of two types of fibers which allow the meniscus to expand under compressive forces and increase contact area of the joint. These include the radial fibers and longitudinal or circumferential fibers, which help dissipate hoop stresses, and vertical mattress sutures used in meniscal repairs captures the longitudinal fibers. With respect to the anatomy of the meniscus, the gross shape of the medial meniscus is C-shaped with triangular cross-section. It has an average width of 9 to 10 millimeters and an average thickness of 3 to 5 millimeters. The lateral meniscus is more circular, as the horns are closer together and approximate the ACL. The lateral meniscus covers a larger portion of the articular surface, and the average width is 10 to 12 millimeters, and the average thickness is 4 to 5 millimeters. With respect to attachments, the transverse intermeniscal ligament connects the medial and lateral meniscus anteriorly. The coronary ligaments connects the meniscus peripherally, And keep in mind the medial meniscus has less mobility with more rigid peripheral fixation than the lateral meniscus. The meniscofemoral ligament connects the meniscus into the substance of the PCL, which originates from the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus and has two components, the Humphreys ligament anteriorly and the ligament of Risberg posteriorly. Just remember that the H in Humphrey comes before the W in Risberg in the alphabet, so Humphrey is anterior and Risberg is posterior. As far as the blood supply for the meniscus, the middle genicular artery supplies the posterior horns. The medial inferior genicular artery supplies the peripheral 20-30% to of the medial meniscus. The lateral inferior genicular artery supplies the peripheral 10-25% to of the lateral meniscus, and the central 75% receives nutrition through diffusion. As far as innervation to the meniscus, the peripheral two-thirds are innervated by type 1 and type 2 nerve endings, and remember that the posterior horns have the highest concentration of mechanoreceptors. 
Now, moving on to the classification of meniscal injuries, these are typically classified using a descriptive classification, specifically focusing on location, size, and pattern of the tear. As far as location, the red zone is the outer third, which is well vascularized. The red-white zone is the middle third, and the white zone is the inner third, which is avascular. As far as different types of tear patterns, vertical-slash-longitudinal tears are common, especially with ACL tears. Remember to repair these when they are peripheral. Bucket handle tears are vertical tears which may displace into the notch. An oblique-slash-flap-slash-parrot-beak tear may cause mechanical locking symptoms. Other patterns include radial tears, horizontal tears, which are more common in the older population, and may be associated with meniscal cysts. And finally, you may see complex tears or meniscal root tears as well. As far as the presentation of meniscal injuries, symptoms may include pain localizing to the medial or lateral side, mechanical symptoms of locking and clicking, and delayed or intermittent swelling. Remember that joint line tenderness is the most sensitive physical examination finding. On physical exam, you may also see an effusion. Provocative tests include the Apley compression test, which is done in the prone position. The Tessillay test, which is done standing at 20 degrees of knee flexion on the affected limb, where the patient twists with the knee in both external and internal rotation, with a positive test being discomfort or clicking. McMurray's test is done by flexing the knee and placing a hand on the medial side of the knee, externally rotating the leg, and bringing the knee into extension. A palpable pop slash click plus pain is a positive test and can correlate with a medial meniscus tear. With respect to imaging, radiographs should be normal in young patients with an acute meniscal injury. Meniscal calcifications or chondral calcinosis may be seen in crystalline arthropathy like pseudogout. MRI is the most sensitive diagnostic test but also has a high false positive rate. As far as findings, MRI grade 3 signals are indicative of a tear. Linear high signal that extends to either superior or inferior surfaces of the meniscus may be seen. Parameniscal cysts indicate the presence of a meniscal tear, and a bucket handle meniscal tear is indicated by a quote double PCL sign and or a quote double anterior horn sign. Treatment for meniscal injury can be operative or non-operative. Non-operative management involves rest, NSAIDs, rehabilitation, which is indicated as the first line of treatment for degenerative tears. Operative management can include partial meniscectomy, meniscal repair, meniscal transplantation, and total meniscectomy. We'll go through the indications for each of these options now. Partial meniscectomy is indicated for tears not amenable to repair, like complex, degenerative, and radial tear patterns. Other indications include repair failure greater than two times. Outcomes of partial meniscectomy includes greater than 80% satisfactory function at minimum follow-up. 50% of these patients have Fairbanks radiographic changes like osteophytes, flattening, and or joint space narrowing. Predictors of success of partial meniscectomy include age less than 40 years old, normal alignment, minimal or no arthritis, and a single tear. A partial meniscectomy is done through a standard arthroscopic approach. As far as technique, you should minimize resection as degenerative joint disease is proportional to the amount removed, and make sure you do not use thermal heat probes as part of the resection. Postoperatively, you will start early active range of motion, and just an FYI, Prolonged immobilization has been shown to be detrimental to healing in dog models. As far as meniscal repair, the best candidate for repair is a tear with the following characteristics. Peripheral tears in the red-red zone, which is of course the vascularized region, 
And remember, rim width is the distance from the tear to the peripheral meniscocapsular junction where the blood supply is. Rim width correlates with the ability of a meniscal repair to heal, so lower rim width has better blood supply. Meniscal repairs are also indicated for vertical and longitudinal tears as well as bucket handle meniscus tears, rather than radial, horizontal, or degenerative tears. Other indications for meniscal repair include tears that are 1 to 4 millimeters in length and root tears. As far as acute repairs combined with ACL reconstruction, traditional literature reports higher healing rates with concurrent ACL reconstruction. Current literature shows no difference in healing for second-generation all-inside repairs with or without concomitant ACL reconstruction. As far as the approach for a meniscal repair, the inside-out technique is considered the gold standard. You'll do a medial approach to the capsule and expose the capsule by incising the sartorius fascia, and then you'll retract the pes tendons slash semimembranosus posteriorly, then develop the plane between the medial gastrocnemius and capsule. In the lateral approach to the capsule, you will develop a plane between the IT band and the biceps tendon, then retract the lateral head of the gastrocnemius posteriorly. With an all-inside technique, that is via suture devices, with plastic or bioabsorbable anchors, this tends to be the most common approach, however there are many complications like device breakage and or iatrogenic chondral injury. An outside-in repair is useful for anterior horn tears and an open repair is uncommon except in trauma situations like knee dislocations. As far as technique, vertical mattress sutures are strongest because they capture circumferential fibers and remember that healing is enhanced by rasping. Risks of meniscal repair include saphenous nerve and vein injury in the medial approach, perineal nerve injury through the lateral approach, and injury to the popliteal vessels. As far as outcomes, meniscal repair is 70 to 95% successful. The highest success is achieved when done with concomitant ACL reconstruction. Poor results are usually seen with untreated ACL deficiency in 30% of patients. Moving on to meniscal transplantation, indications are for young patients with near-total meniscectomy, especially on the lateral meniscus. Contraindications include inflammatory arthritis, instability, marked obesity, grade 4 chondrosis if not concurrently addressed, malalignment if not concurrently addressed, and or diffuse arthritis. As far as the technique for meniscal transplantation, bone-to-bone -bone healing is achieved with plugs at each horn or a bridge between the horns. Peripheral vertical mattress sutures are used and correct sizing of the allograft is essential. Commonly, this is based on the radiographs and within 5-10% to error is tolerated. With respect to outcomes, a meniscal transplantation requires 8-12 to months for the graft to fully heal. Return to sports is expected by 6-9 to months. Retears or extrusion are common, and 10-year follow-up results showed persistent improvement in subjective pain and function scores, however most had radiographic progression of degenerative changes. Finally, total meniscectomy at this point is of historical interest only. With respect to outcomes, 20% have significant arthritic lesions and 70% have radiographic changes 3 years after surgery. 100% have arthrosis at 20 years. The severity of degenerative changes is proportional to the percent of the meniscus that was removed. Finally, just a quick word about complications after meniscal surgery. Saphenous neuropathy is seen in 7% of patients. Arthrofibrosis is seen in 6% of patients. Sterile effusion is seen in 2% of patients. Perineal neuropathy is seen in 1% of patients. Superficial infection is seen in 1% of patients. And deep infection is also seen in 1% of patients.
That's all for this review about meniscal injury. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.